Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom, where wisdom comes from everywhere. This is a podcast about generational wisdom shared to help build a bridge for future generations and to build stronger communities through education, technology, and health. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Hola, amigas. You know, we are fast approaching graduation time for many folks, and I believe some big decisions in our educational pursuits for our kids or just for our families hold a lot of weight for the future of our Latino communities. You know, as a third-generation Mexican-American, I was the first Latina in my family to go to college because I saw that education was the key to breaking the poverty cycle for my family. And having these college-bound conversations were non-existent in our household. Why? Because we didn't understand what that meant as far as career, being a single mom. What does that look like for, you know, my daughters in only having economic dependency in getting married? These are not the conversations I believe we should be having. We should be builders, wealth creators, and also, how do we lift the community together? So today, my guest is Karen Maldonado. She is the Chief Program and Innovation Officer for Latinos for Education. They are the first Latino-founded, led national organization solely dedicated to creating leadership pathways for Latinos in education, inside and outside of the educational sector. And... They are positioned to increase their influence and impact to serve the Latino students and families and communities. Their value is to serve as a foundation that brings our Latino communities together, and they want to be able to provide opportunities for students to have the ability to decide their own destiny. So Karen directs and guides the overall strategy and design and evolution of all program areas nationally and provides leadership around K-16 through partnerships, fundraising, budget setting, and organizational strategy. She is committed to excellence for Latinos and Black children, adults, and families, which has been evidenced by her career path. So welcome, Karen, to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. You know, I find all my guests through LinkedIn. I'm just going to say that right now. And... I'm not stalking anybody, but I do find a lot of Latinas highly engaged on that platform. So you popped into my feed and I said, who is this, you know, awesome Latina that's promoting education, that's working for Latinos for education and working with the policies and investing in the policies moving forward through the Biden administration, which he did mention he will be putting forth in his new policy a lot of investment towards Latinos. And you just were like on the radar. And I said, I must get Karen on the podcast to talk about her position at Latinos for Education and how you're going to be incorporated into innovation and policies moving forward that are going to influence a lot of school districts. Now, I don't know if I'm stepping out of place there, but is that correct? Or how do you see your role in the organization moving forward? 
Oh, hello, hello, and thank you. Thank you, Teresa, for having me on your podcast. Gracias. Mari Maldonado here. I'm calling in from San Juan, Puerto Rico, and I'm excited to serve as the first chief program and innovation officer for Latinos for Education. And so we're an organization, we are the first national education organization focused on increasing the influence and the representation of Latinos in the education sector. And so we advocate 100% for Latino students, for teachers, and for families at all levels of education and policy. So if this is the opportunity to speak about Latinos for Education and my work, I'm here for it. I'm super grateful that you invited me to join you today. Oh, thanks, Karen. You know, one of the things I found very interesting, and also my husband has been in education here in California in West Contra Costa for a number of years. And one of the things we always talk about is representation in the classroom, especially for a Latino population that is bilingual. And I noticed your trajectory was not towards education at first, but it took more or less a substitute teacher position, I think if I'm stating that right, for you to really see in your district on the East Coast what was really going on. And it just kind of hit me that the two were very similar. Do you want to share a little bit about that in your experience and how that puts you on the path to this innovation leadership role for education? Sure. So when I first entered college, when I was an undergrad, I wasn't thinking particularly about a role in education, to be honest with you. I was thinking about graduating. (laughs) I knew I loved learning. I wasn't sure. I think I started my first semester focusing on calculus and math. And no one told me not to go for those 8 a.m. classes as a freshman in undergrad. So as you can imagine, my passion and also my grades went down. And so I figured, okay, find something that is more in tune to who I am and just kind of a profession, right? Uh And an area of study that connects for me as a person, as a Latina. And so I majored in sociology and also Latin American and Caribbean studies. Uh And that led me to just kind of figuring out in the world, what can I do with that degree? Where can it lead me? I had a great friend who was actually studying for her doctorate in psychology. And she said, look, Ari, I am actually subbing in Brooklyn, New York. You may like it. You may not. But why don't you give it a, a try? You have a leadership style that would attract the children towards you. And hey, it's just substitute teaching, meaning that if you don't like it, you're not fully invested, but just give it a shot. And so I remember... And to make a long story bearable, but also trying to make it engaging. (laughs) I remember stepping into a school, a middle school that was filled with metal detectors. It was, you know, just chaotic hallways. But more importantly, it was students, students that looked like me, students that, you know, were in the seventh grade, but were 15 years old, students that were able to just kind of roam around freely, but with no real guidance and support on what it means to be in an educational space. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine that there were silos of teachers that were doing their best with what they were given, right, in terms of the support and development for them as a teacher. But I remember also being appalled, being appalled by 
the lack of focus, the lack of teaching and learning that I saw in that school. And coming from Catholic school background, you know, I, I would argue that there's some yellow flags around the curriculum and the standard of learning that I achieved, but I also knew that it was the structures and systems that the Catholic education had that made me think about, okay, if structures and systems could exist in any space and be successful, why not try it here? Mm -hmm. And it was about engaging with the students. It was about engaging with the parents. It was about, you know, teaching English, but also teaching and learning with and from the students. That experience in 1997 has led to a career that I can't imagine being without. Um, education is my passion. Students of color are my passion. They are my North Star. Okay. I know that I have a responsibility to make the education system, the education sector stronger than it is today. And I believe that I can do that sitting in the seat that I'm in as Chief Program and Innovation Officer with Latinos for Education. That's so awesome. Oh my God, that's awesome. And you know, the one thing that I can just imagine walking in that school and just seeing everything going on, because I had a similar experience with my husband when I went to one of the schools. I was like, wow, where are the Latino educators? Where are the community support for this school? And, you know, we're getting to a point of recognition that the education system has to be fulfilled and a pipeline I think your organization is building towards that across the nation. So I wanted to ask about that representation. I'm originally from the Bronx, New York. Uh -huh. I love the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> so you're from the Bronx. You were born and raised there, but your family, have they always been there or were, are you the first gen? No, we came from Puerto Rico. Uh -huh. And so my father was born in New York, moved from Puerto Rico parents that were born and raised in Puerto Rico. My mother was born in Puerto Rico. So my blood is 100% Puerto Rico. I identify uh -huh. as Puerto Rican or Boricua. Uh -huh. And that can mean so many different things for different people. But to me, it defines my identity the most. Uh -huh. So I'm also very proud and I feel fortunate to be Latina, which for me, it also means an identity that is Black, that is of African descent, by, you know, Indians, uh -huh. who were the original locals to the land of Puerto Rico uh -huh. and Spaniard. A hundred percent. And I love that you bring that forward into the education and you talk about that. So when your journey into education started, how did you see yourself in the, the classroom as, you know, a student growing up and then did that have any influence in how you spoke up for other people or for yourself as a Latina? I can only imagine, you know, you're probably overlooked or maybe put in the back of the room or some of the things that really happened in the classroom back in the day. Can you share about that? Did any of those experiences happen to you? Yeah, I would say, if I'm honest, I never felt overlooked. I was in a school where most of the students were Black or of Latino descent, mm -hmm. uh, not only in my grammar school K-8, to but there was a large majority in my high school when I think about it. Now, if I look at the stats, there were probably uh, more of my white counterparts there because, you know, the neighborhood was very mixed. Mm -hmm. But 
I've never felt over like I was always a dedicated student and did excellent in school. It wasn't until I left my community, I left my comfort of the five mile radius that I realized there were so many students, so many teachers that did not look like me. In that same breath, I will say I didn't have a teacher that was Latino or Black that I believe was really pushing us, right? students in the classroom to be excellent until I was in the seventh grade. And so my first influence were, I would say, my family and particularly my sisters. They were the model for me to what I needed to do as a student, what I needed to do to be excellent. My parents didn't graduate from college. My parents, you know, graduated from high school, but their work ethic and their goal for us to be professionals, but also to stand on our own as young ladies and career women, that was their North Star. Mm -hmm. So I've always been blessed in an environment that pushed us to be excellent. Unfortunately, I didn't always see that in my school settings. And so how did that affect you as moving forward in your pursuit of college and how you were navigating the space to get to the college you wanted, or even to have the discussion of college, right, for yourself and your family. Because what I'm trying to get to is the representation of Latinos that don't go into college, and then also the lack of representation of Latinos that are educators as well. Yeah. So just hearing your question, I'd like to jump to the future and then go to the past and then the present. So by 2025, the Latino student population will be 33%, but yet only 9% of teachers and 9% of school principals will identify or currently identify as Latino. To just exacerbate the issue, there are only 2% of school superintendents across the nation that are Latino and 4% that are sitting as board members that are Latinos of education spaces. So we have a problem with the numbers. The numbers of those that are decision makers and those that sit in decision-making seats do not match the number of students that sit in schools across the nation. So that's one of the biggest problems that I see. Mm-hmm. When I think about you know my access to college again, and I give a lot of credit to my family because I had two older sisters that were already in college when it was time for me to go. But in hindsight, I didn't have a school counselor that talked to me about what my options were. I went to the college that made sense financially for my parents. It was a top state university in New York State at the time, Binghamton University. But No one had conversations with me about what I needed as a student, what I needed as a Latina, what I needed as someone who wavers between introvert and extrovert back then and up until this day. So I didn't have access to the choices that were available to me. I just basically followed what my sisters did. I knew that not going to college wasn't an option, but to think about the layers, right, in choosing Mm -hmm. the best college, the high school that I went to, there was no real attention paid to how do we get students in the right schools, right, that are going to really help them build the success that they deserve. Right. So the engagement aspect to participate. I mean, that sounds like in a way that 
because of this initiative and why your organization has started is to start building that pipeline and to engage more Latinos to look at a career in education, right? Yeah, it's 100% true, right? And thinking about my role as CPOI, Chief Program and Innovation Officer, I am leading the vision of our program. So in the role, I'm directing, I'm guiding the overall vision, the strategy, the design, the evolution of all the program areas nationally. And I'm providing leadership around our partnerships, fundraising, our budget setting, and just organizational strategy, right? Along with our executive leadership team. But there are three specific programs that I hold very tight to my chest and also to my heart. And that is number one, our aspiring Latino leadership fellowship. It is preparing Latinos already in the education sector to step up into leadership positions so they can become principals. They can oversee district programs or divisions. And they can also become mentors to other educators and other Latinos. We also have, as I mentioned, we have a low percent, 9% of Latino teachers across the nation. And so when we realized that gap existed, we created the Latinx Teacher Fellowship. And that is about creating a network for teachers, creating that support for Latino educators as they grow into their profession. And then we're also very proud of our Latino Board Fellowship. Again, thinking about the low number that I mentioned, only Mm -hmm. 4% of Latinos sit on and boards, you know, we are preparing Latinos that work in or outside of the education sector to step up into board service within education nonprofits. We also have a program for familias, familias por la educación. It recently started in Houston, Texas, and we're expanding to Massachusetts. But this program is about giving and empowering parents so they can be advocate for their children so that they are aware of the things that the problems that exist in education and the ways that they could help solve the problem. I think giving access and empowering the adults that not only lead right their household, but can be a part of the solution for their children is one of the most crucial and beneficial ways to advance Latinos across the nation. Awesome. I think that is a Wonderful plan, and I think it's highly executionable. I just want to know one question, and that is, what do you think is the number one barrier to get more Latinos or just people of color to be an educator? We need to elevate the profession of teaching, the profession of education. I'll give you an example. In 2011, I had the opportunity to go to Helsinki And while I was in Finland, I looked at how teachers were uplifted and the teaching profession was uplifted. Like when I thought about the teachers, they were elevated and they were given a level of prestige and deference in the same ways that doctors were given, you know, this type of clout, right? When I think about engineers, I think about architects and lawyers in Finland, they were held at such a high level and so were teachers. So I think it's about advancing the profession. I think it's about giving credit to the profession and so investing in the profession, not just throwing dollars at teachers and at schools, right? That, yes, is essential, but also helping in the development, helping in the infrastructure of schools and all that we need, not only so our kids can 
be successful in this nation, but so that our kids can be successful throughout the globe, right? And so they are competitive no matter where they are, no matter where they are in the world. We need to think about education because if not, if you're thinking about seeing, and I'm not so much in the politics, but if we're really being in tune of what's happening in other countries, such as Russia and China, mm-hmm. like, we will be left behind Absolutely. if we are not stepping up to the plate in terms of the education sector. I am 100% in agreement with you, which is why you're on this podcast to talk about that. I know that in other countries, the education profession is held to a higher standard. Even in, you know, Latin America, you know, maestros and how they're regarded. It's just in the education system here has been broken. And there is a call to action, I feel, for us to be cognizant of what's happening right now into the education curriculum. It's very important that we still exist as a historical narrative to this country. What do you think about that as far as the representation aspect, but also you said by the year 2025? Yeah, by the year 2025, the Latino student population will be 33% of the population. Right. In the United States. And there's one in three that will be a student in the classroom. Is that right? Correct. And so just seeing what's happening right now, I feel there's a bit of erasure going on. Yeah. But I will tell you, if I look at the Program for International Student Assessment, also known as PISA, right? And PISA, what it does is it measures 15-year-olds' ability to use their reading, mathematics, and science knowledge and skills to meet these real-life challenges. PISA is an assessment that is given across the world. Students of color and also Spanish-speaking countries are not in the top 25%, right? And the United States, I think, is maybe 24. Uh So there is an issue, again, around elevating education in the United States. And then if we dig deeper, I would say for Black and brown students. Mm -hmm. And so that is part of the problem. But also, we have to recognize, you know, I know that there was a bill that just came across um, the White House's House Resolution 229, Mm -hmm. and it still recognizes the significance of the 1973 New Mexico Bilingual Multicultural Education Act. And that is actually, it's also happened on the 50th anniversary, and it's about the importance of cultivating education in both the mother tongue as well as English for the preservation of culture, identity, and indigenous knowledge. I bring that up because referring back to some of these European countries that I visit, I remember going into a classroom of seventh graders and these seventh graders already had exposure. If not in some of languages, they had proficiency levels in other languages beyond their native tongue. Mm -hmm. And so there needs to be a real push for multilingualism, multiculturalism, so that people can feel very proud, not just in their homes, but as they step into the world, we can have students feeling proud that they are multilingual, that Spanish is an asset and not a deficit. Yes. I think all this getting erased and unseen, it is very much intentional by some of the powers that be in this country. But we, right, because we have the numbers, uh-huh. we need to think about how do the numbers equate to power and powers in policy making and policy decisions. Right. And so we need to push that agenda, which Latinos for Education is doing, uh-huh. policy and advocacy arm of our work, 
push our programs and again, push representation so that we are never erased and we are never left behind. It's beyond just not being left behind. It's making sure that we are front and center and always representing our people so that we are pushed to excellence. We represent excellence and people know that there is no other way for Latino populations. So it's making sure that Latino presence and representation exists. And it's also making sure we show up prepared mm-hmm. and ready to be a part of any and all discussions that, is, uh, that impact Latino progress, advancement, accomplishments, and excellence. That is beautiful. I could not agree with you more. And so if anyone's listening right now to this and you're considering a profession or you want to pivot out of your current role and you're thinking, how can I make a difference? And how would they even start to get involved in something like this, Karen? What would be that first step if they have a degree already? Let's see, their degree was in business or their business was in something else other than sociology or education. What would you suggest to them? Well, number one, I would suggest for them to go to the Latinos for Education website. (laughs) We are in every platform you can imagine. So that's the first thing. I would also recommend that they contact their local legislative leader. I'd also recommend that they become very versed in what's happening in their neighborhoods, what's happening in their local community, in their city. How can they contribute to the progress and the advancement of Latino schools and Latino education within their own neighborhood? If they're looking for a role change or profession change or just starting off, right? Mm-hmm. Graduating from college or even pre-college, if you have high school students that are interested in tutoring, mentoring students, I would say find a school where you can seize this moment and latch onto the opportunity to help out in education, to help out in the school. Now, if you are already a college graduate and you're interested in teaching, I would recommend you go to the website. I would recommend mm-hmm. you contact us. You could possibly be a part of our Latino Latinx Teacher Fellowship. We are creating the space for this network to occur so that you can grow as a professional in this profession. But I would also say, if you're already in it and you're thinking about how to take your leadership to the next level, apply to our aspiring Latino Leadership Fellowship. Now, you mentioned something. If, if you had a a career in business or another profession, but you are interested in the Latino Board Fellowship, it could also give you the opportunity to look within the education sector and step into board service, right? Mm -hmm. To help out education nonprofits. So there are many avenues and multiple entry points into the education world. And so I would influence people and encourage them as much as possible to think about what is it that you want for your neighbor? What is it that you want for your niece, your nephew, your cousin, any child that is in your sphere of influence? What would it be that you want for them as they navigate this world? I would imagine it would be a solid education, right? And a solid education is not something that we wish for, that we hope for, because guess what? Hope is not a strategy. Now we need to think about our teachers from a racially and ethical diverse backgrounds? How do we get them to be a part of the profession so that we can exceed the numbers and we can 
change this narrative around turnover rates in the teaching profession. Yep, a hundred percent. I mean, I am always astounded how folks step into education just for a short time. And it's usually because they don't feel empowered to have a voice or to change. What I see is bureaucracy in a lot of districts. However, I will say that is changing because they do want new ideas. The the students are changing. The way they learn is completely different today. And how we bring those ideas into a curriculum is much needed. And again, I want to just point out here that on your website, that it says Latinos only make up 9% of all teachers nationwide. And when I talk about technology and business, Latinas are the most represented in businesses, like we're the fastest growing sector, but then in education, we're not as represented on a leadership level in the boardrooms. Like you said, it's even more dismal in other industries. Right. But you know what? We may be leading in other sectors, but the key and the foundation is education. Yeah. We can't have business leaders without giving them the opportunity to have a solid education. We can't have lawyers without giving Latino children, we can't have Latino lawyers without giving Latino children the option, right? And the access to what it means to have that degree. So the basis for everything is basically the ripple effect for Latino success. If we're able to solidify and advance and excel in education, it could lead to better health. It could lead to better transportation. It could lead to more innovation by Latino people. It could lead to the eradicating of poverty. We have to think on the sector, right? We have to think about if we do X for Latino children and families, why can happen that will lead to prosperity, that will lead to better health rates, that will lead to longevity. So it is really the springboard to better lives and excellence for Latino children and families. But I will say that We are underrepresented in so many ways. Latino students are not represented in gifted and talented programs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they are far over identified for special education and lots of discipline referrals. You know, speaking parents and families, they often struggle to engage with their children's education due to language barriers, which I touched on earlier around the need for Spanish to be seen as a placid and not a deficit. Yep. So there's many things beyond, hey, what happens in the classroom that we need to think more strategically about as Latino people so that we can advance our folks. Listen, and I'm not sure if I said this in the beginning, but our mission at Latinos for Education, we develop, we place, we connect essential Latino leadership in the education sector. Not only that, but you know, going back to our North Star, right, which is mm-hmm. on policy advocacy, mm-hmm. we want to mobilize Latino voices to promote practices and policies and that will lead us to equitable educational opportunity. That is our mission. That will remain our mission for the foreseeable future. And that is what our work and our passion is about. Yep. And I always like to say to strengthen numbers. So the more folks that get involved in this mission towards education, the louder voice we create that builds on the policy making. And so it's not 
dire. It is actually a call to action for us to become more involved, to change these things and to be represented. So everything here today, I'm 100% on board. I hope people out there that are listening, education is a sector to really influence the next generation. We need those teachers to be creative and innovative. And I think COVID really impacted a lot of our communities, especially Latino families. So if we're talking about the need to be activated in education, this could not be more apparent than post-COVID. So we've seen a higher dropout rate of students post-COVID, and that is directly aligned to the economic status of so many families. And so we are unfortunately having to tap into our children, right, to mm-hmm. sometimes make ends meet, right, because of loss of job, unemployment, unemployment that has occurred because of post-COVID, you know, health issues, you know, because of COVID, where families are not able to operate or work the way that they did in the past. Um, And so I will say that, you know, we talked about this and this is all connected. We are very much invested in mobilizing leaders and communities. So we also have a national advocacy strategy. We wanna make sure that Latinos are positioned so that when we are dealing with issues as COVID and the impacts of COVID on our people, Mm -hmm. you know, we think about what we need to be at the table. And part of it is making sure that we have teachers at the table, Latino teachers. For example, we are now very much involved in the Educator Diversity Act, specifically in Massachusetts. And it's about not just this act, but a diversity and coalition. And we're going to serve as a national model for diversifying the teacher pipeline through state level policy. So we are making sure that we have, again, teachers in schools because they're the ones that are also dealing with families and students and having to support after we have such catastrophic pandemic as COVID. We cannot think about how to empower our teachers, how to give them the tools so that they stay in the profession. Because yes, you know, as we've seen, education sector took a hard hit, but we also are very resilient as a sector. And so we will continue to rise so that our children, our Latino children, can have the education that they deserve. Yes. And so I think this is a great opportunity, again, for folks that are interested and wanting to know more to go to latinosforeducation.org. And Karen, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with or where we can find you? Yeah, again, I would invite you to go on our website, latinosforeducation.org, think about how you can contribute, whether it is through donating, creating a blog, through joining our Ed Centro, which is our platform that invites Latino leaders to engage with each other. There's job opportunities there. There is opportunities to post spots, to connect with other Latino leaders. So I would say being a, a member of Ed Centro, if it's the right fit for you, I welcome you to do that. And if you join one of our programs, you'll be a part of our, on graduation, you'll be a part of our alumni network. So once you join us, you have us for life. Awesome. And so there is lots of power in numbers. So I invite you to be a part of our mission, a part of our strategy to help Latinos succeed and to prosper in this country. Yes. 
Okay, so we can find you and the information and resources at latinosforeducation.org. So Karen, thank you so much for joining me today on Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. All right, mi gente, I hope that conversation was very impactful for the discussions to have in the future with our family members, having those important conversations at the dinner table, and you know, our nieces and nephews, our theas and our theos that are maybe going back to school later in life. These are very important conversations to understand in how we can make more leadership strides in education. And Karen is really at the helm through this organization called latinosforeducation.org. If you'd like more information about this report, please go to their website at latinosforeducation.org. And it's called the Latino Action Agenda Report. And it will give you very specific action items of how they are working together to create more advancements for Latinos in education. Again, you can reach Karen through LinkedIn at Karen Maldonado, and she serves as a Chief Program and Innovation Officer for Latinos for Education. And you can also reach out to their organization at latinosforeducation.org. Gracias. This podcast was produced by and hosted by Teresa E. Gonzalez of 5E Leadership and Marketing. It was also audio engineered and sound designed by Robert Lopez of CratesAudio.com. Please subscribe to us through Apple, Spotify, and our newsletter at latinasb2b.com. Please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify as our representation really matters by the more reviews you leave for us on these platforms. Gracias, mi gente.